John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. It's on your screen so we can read it together. Let's read, shall we? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, Lord, I ask that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive that which the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I pray that this will be a word that will challenge us, that will inspire us, that will motivate us, but most importantly, that will transform us into the image of your own dear Son. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you will draw them to a place of repentance, that not one of them will be lost. I pray these things in the matchless name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I heard the story about the father who had just had his driveway repaved. The concrete was still fresh and wet, so he fenced it off with sticks and tape. Then he found his young son who was playing outside. He went to him and he told him, whatever you do, do not run on the new driveway. You stay off the driveway. Do you understand, he asked. And like all boys, yeah, dad. Well, you know what happened. A few minutes later, the boy goes running around the house and splat, splat, splat right across the driveway. Well, the dad was furious. He was yelling at the boy, threatening him with all kinds of punishment. About that time, mom came out and in an understanding, calm tone, reminded her husband that he loved his son. The dad replied, I love him in the abstract but I don't love him in the concrete. (laughs) That seems to be the problem with most people, even most people in the church. You sing about it, you read about it, you talk about it, you teach and preach about it. But if you're honest, you'll have to admit that you have a hard time loving one another in practice. You love in the abstract but you struggle with it in the concrete. I mean, if I were to go to everybody in this room, I suspect you'd say, oh yeah, I love everybody. And then if, you were, if I were to mention that one person, you'd, you'd kind of grimace a little bit. It reminds me of little Sarah who wrote a letter to God that said, dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. (laughs) In spite of the challenge it presents, this idea of loving others seems to be high on God's list of priorities. In fact, when you look in the Bible, you discover that loving others isn't given as an option to consider, but it is a precept to obey. The Old Testament law commanded the people of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In Matthew chapter 22, a religious lawyer came to test Jesus. And in verse uh, 36, he asked, 
Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus answered in verses 37 through 40, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Notice, if you would, please, this isn't a suggestion. This isn't listed as a pretty good idea. This is a requirement. This is a commandment. Now, that in and of itself is a pretty high standard to love your neighbor as yourself. Would you agree? But Jesus isn't done. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43, yes, 43 and 44, Jesus tightens the screws and makes this requirement even more stringent when he says, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says that there are three eternal virtues that remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest, he says, is love. D- didn't I tell you he was serious about this idea of love? There isn't any wiggle room. This is a command of the Lord. It's a precept to obey. Here it is. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even love your enemies. And then we come to our text. And it gets even stronger. Here in verse 34 of John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you. Now, There are two Greek words Jesus could have used for new. The first was neos, N-E-O-S. Neos means new in time. Neos was the latest, the most recent. If you go down here to the dealership and get a, a new car, that would be a neos car, new in time. The other word Jesus could have used was kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. Kainos means new in form or quality, different in nature, something fresh, something unique. When When you buy your favorite product and on the box it says new and improved, it, it means kainos. And this is the word Jesus used when he said, a new commandment I give to you. So the love he was talking about has a new measure. It's new in experience. It's fresh with new meaning and power. It's a whole new dimension of love, a dimension that had never been fully seen. As a new commandment, it now takes the place of the old commandment. Don't miss this. The old commandment was Love your neighbor as yourself. The new commandment is even higher bar. Love one another as I have loved you. Now that word as carries with it the meaning of in like manner. The command, the precept to obey is unlike any that has gone before. Now you are to love one another in the same manner Jesus has loved you. So not only is there a precept to obey, but now there is a pattern to follow. 
love one another just as Jesus has loved you. And remember, this isn't optional. This is mandatory. This is a command. If you're going to obey the command to love just as Jesus has loved you, then you need to know something about how Jesus has loved you. And first of all, I want you to see that the love of Jesus is selfless. Jesus demonstrated selfless love in Gethsemane. This idea of selfless love is the absolute opposite of the love that is demonstrated by most people. See, in the world, people love for what they can get out of you. In the world, people love for what it will do for them. Come on, somebody. It's kind of like the letter a young girl wrote to the fiance she recently dumped. Dearest darling Jimmy, no words can ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. I miss you so. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. Please say you'll take me back. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. Contrast that with the Jesus kind of love that is exhibited in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's late at night. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed and all his followers were going to forsake him. The trial and torture that would ultimately lead to his death were imminent. Leaving most of his disciples at the entrance to the garden, he took Peter, James, and John a little further and Then he left them with instructions to watch and pray while he moved still further into the garden. See him there as he falls to his knees, the weight of the burden too great to bear. See him as he cries out to his father in prayer. See him as he agonizes until his sweat falls as drops of blood from his brow. Listen as he prays. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Remember his high priestly prayer in the upper room just before adjourning to the garden. In that prayer, he said, Father, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Then he said, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. A little bit later, he prayed, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And then he prayed, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The love Jesus demonstrated is selfless. In prayer, he surrenders his will. The focus of his prayer isn't on himself. It's on you. And this is the love the Lord commands 
from those who would be his followers. Selfless love. Putting others ahead of yourself. Not what can you get out of it, but what can you give? Pouring yourself out for someone else. Giving yourself without reservation to others, even to those with whom you have little to nothing in common. Jesus demonstrated selfless love in Gethsemane. Then we see that the love of Jesus is sacrificial. Jesus demonstrated sacrificial love on Golgotha. This is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Watch this. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This is what Jesus meant when he said in John 15 and 13, greater love has no one than this, than one laid down his life for his friend. This is what Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 is talking about when the apostle writes, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, to the world, the cross looks like Jesus' ultimate defeat. But they fail to see that the cross is his finest hour. Because at the cross... The centurion looked into the face of a dying Christ and said, truly, this was the Son of God. At the cross, the greatest act of forgiveness was demonstrated when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. At the cross, the dying thief was promised, today you shall be with me in paradise. At the cross, the earth was shaken, graves were opened, the saints were resurrected from the dead and were seen walking on the streets of Jerusalem. At the cross, the final atonement for sin was offered up and a new order was instituted. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom and now whosoever will may approach the Father through Jesus the Son. At the cross, Satan was defeated. At the cross, demons were put in their place and a public display was made of their defeat. At the cross, you were justified from your sin. At the cross, you were sanctified. At the cross, you were redeemed. At the cross, you were reconciled back to God. At the cross, you were given peace. At the cross, you were empowered. At the cross, you are witness to the greatest demonstration of love that has ever Ever been known. You know, the apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height 
and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Think about it. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth of his love. I want to suggest to you that the breadth of his love is God so loved the world. The length of his love is he gave his only begotten son. The height of his love is that whosoever believes in him. The depth of his love is should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm telling you, when you were unlovable, Jesus loved you. When you were undesirable, Jesus desired you. When you ran from him, Jesus came after you. When you pushed him away, Jesus embraced you. On the cross, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, giving his life for your salvation. I'm telling you, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to that cross. It was his love, his love for you and for you and for you and for you and for you. This is the love Jesus commands from his followers. Sacrificial love. Laying down your life for others. Putting aside your personal preferences in order to serve others. Promoting the welfare of others, even to the point of personal injury. I want to tell you it's because of his sacrificial love that you don't have to clean up and straighten up and get everything in order before you come to him. You come just like you are. You bring all your failures. Bring all your mistakes and your messes. Bring your disappointments. Bring all your heartache. His sacrifice means you can make an exchange. All of your unrighteousness for his perfect righteousness. All of your weakness for his strength. All of your sins for his forgiveness. All of your brokenness for his wholeness. All of your past for his future. I'm talking about loving like Jesus loved. Jesus demonstrated selfless love in Gethsemane. Jesus demonstrated sacrificial love on Golgotha. Then I want you to see that the love of Jesus is not only selfless and sacrificial, it is scandalous. Jesus demonstrated scandalous love through grace. You know, there's a great hue and cry in our land today for justice. Everybody's talking about, we want justice. You know, justice means that you get just exactly what you deserve. And I don't think I want justice. It's kind of like the guy that had his picture made. When he got the proofs back, he went to the photographer. He said, hey, man, this... this This picture doesn't do me justice. And the photographer said, man, you don't need justice. You need mercy. (laughs) Justice means you get just exactly what you deserve. Mercy means that you are pardoned and don't get the punishment you deserve. Well, let me tell you, grace takes it even further. See, grace not only cancels the punishment you deserve... But then it gives the blessing you don't deserve. Grace won't just keep you out of hell. Grace will get you into heaven. This this scandalous love of grace is the love demonstrated to the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. You know, the, the law demanded that she be stoned. The religious leaders demanded justice. 
But when Jesus gave his verdict, he told those without sin to cast the first stone. And then he said to the woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Scandalous love of grace. It is this scandalous love of grace that is illustrated by the father when the prodigal returns home. Remember, even though the son left angry and disgraced the family name, the father's out looking for him to return every day. He, he, he goes to his post and keeps watch, thinking today might be the day that my boy comes home. And, and when he sees him off in the distance coming down the road, he doesn't just stand there with his arm folded and say, okay, let's see what Junior's going to say now. Mm-mm, no, no, no. He runs to meet him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He calls for sandals to be put on his feet and a, a robe around his shoulders and a ring on his finger. And he kills the fattened calf and he invites all the neighbors in for a celebration. Scandalous love of grace. When you love with this kind of love, you'll go out of your way to help someone that has done you wrong. When you love with this kind of love, you'll not only overlook the injury and the injustice you receive, but you'll intentionally seek to help and bless the perpetrator. This is the pattern to follow. This is what it means to love as Jesus loved. The command is, love as I have loved you. Here's the pattern. Selfless love. Sacrificial love. Scandalous love. We've seen the precept to obey, and we've seen a pattern to follow. There's one more thing. It's a proof to observe. I want you to think about this for a moment. I don't want you to answer out loud, but I just want you to think about it. How do your friends, your family, your coworkers, people that know you and people that you know, how do they know you are a follower of Jesus? Some think that people will know they're a follower of Jesus because They say, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian. Some think people will know they're a follower of Jesus because they go to church. Some think it's because they're baptized. Some some think it's because they study the Bible. Some think think it's because they live by a certain code of conduct or a certain lifestyle. All of those things are good, but none of them are the definitive mark that you are a follower of Jesus. Jesus gave the identifying mark of those who are his followers when he said in our text of verse 35, remember he said, love as I have loved you, and by this, by you loving as I've loved you, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This this selfless, sacrificial, scandalous love, if you love like that, that's how they will know you're my followers, my disciples. Think, that's it. That's it. That's it. Not how many Bible studies you attend or how many verses you can quote from memory. Not how much you understand about end time prophecy. Not how many positions you hold in the church. Not how many vices you abstain from or how many virtues you practice. But do you love like Jesus? Selflessly, 
sacrificially, scandalously. Do, do you want to have a true Christian witness? Do you really want to have a Christian witness? This is how to do it. Love others the same way Jesus loves them and the same way Jesus loves you. As I finish up this message, I, I want to ask you to engage in an exercise with me. I want you to take a moment and I want you to just picture other people in the church. Not, and not those that are easy to love. Not those that make you feel like loving them. I want, to, I want you to think about someone that is difficult to love. Someone who tries your patience. Someone who tests your Christian character. Don't, don't be looking around. Don't, 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 no, no, no. Someone that's not easy to love. Someone that just, just tries your sanctification. Jesus is telling you to love that person. It doesn't matter how that person makes you feel. It doesn't matter how much you like or dislike him or her. He wants you to love that person just like he loves that person. And just like he loves you. And there's one more thing and then I'm done. The grammar Jesus uses is very specific. When he says love one another, the grammar here is it means keep on loving one another. It isn't just a one-time act. It isn't an occasional thing. It isn't a momentary gesture. It is to be a continuous, ongoing love. Hear the word of the Lord in our text one more time. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another.